0: Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review with Nigel Farage. Nigel, I believe you're in Chicago, which is the commodity exchange capital of the world and you've noticed some action in commodity markets there which you say is going to lead to some inflation concerns if it hasn't already. So why don't you just update us on what's going on in Chicago and in commodity markets?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, as somebody who spent 20 years as a commodity broker and trader, Chicago is like a spiritual home because that was where the whole futures concept was invented way back in the 1800s. And I remember going to the Chicago Board of Trade and the Merck, and they were seething masses of humanity in these incredible pits. So, of course, most of that's gone because we've dehumanized the world with computers. But, hey, you can't stop what they call progress. But here's the point. Um, astonishing rises in commodity prices. And this is not just isolated in one sector. Okay, fine, we've got the pipeline problem on the East Coast. Um, hey, it's a bit like the 1970s people queuing to get gas for their cars and inflation coming back. I mean, it's sort of all shades of Jimmy Carter, although I personally think Jimmy Carter was a far more competent president than uh, Joe Biden is. Um, So what you've got are rises in commodities across the board, you know, lumber, corn, copper, everywhere you look, these commodity prices have been through a really, really big spike over the course of the last three months. And of course, rising commodity prices and inflation they almost kind of feed off each other so yesterday we had the us inflation figures up 0.8 percent for the month annualized now at over four percent inflation is coming back and we've been talking about this on these podcasts over the course of the last few months so now it's not a question of whether inflation will happen it's happening it's there and i think in terms of our investment strategies and how we look ahead for the next few years uh, this is something we've really got to talk about a lot because huge numbers of people, you know, particularly anybody under 50, just doesn't know what it's like to live through an age of inflation. And I can remember as a youngster, you know, my grandparents, people who've been thrifty and had saved, but tended to keep money on current account because it paid good interest rates, but seeing inflation just destroying the value of their savings. So inflation is here. And, and I also think, and, and, and you may think I'm being a bit cynical, but given the sheer level of debt that the UK government has built up, but that's nothing compared to what the Americans have done. I mean, it's astonishing what they've done. The only way out is to inflate their way out. So so inflation is the big thing to talk about. It is very, very closely linked to commodity prices, to cost of shipping, and all of those things. And yet Biden gets up, you know, at, at, at what they call a press conference, and and. and He and the Fed deny there's an inflation problem. They're talking rot. There is. It's here. And I really think it's here to stay.
0: I think the key message there is that it's required to have some inflation and try and get government debt back under control. So it's deliberate. This is a deliberate policy from the government. So obviously, we can't expect them to be honest about it. Meanwhile, though, it's the Europeans who I'm most worried about because they might not be able to inflate away their debt given the nature of the Eurozone system. And they are the ones in the most debt. I saw a statistic that Italy may actually top its World War I level of debt to GDP, which is its all-time record because of this coronavirus crisis. So what is your take on, on inflation in the Eurozone and can they engineer somewhere
1: they actually do desperately need it? That's a very good question. Look, here's the odd thing that, you know, when we talk about Italy and Greece and some of those Mediterranean countries, um, they don't have the same inflationary pressures because their economies are just bumping along the bottom. I mean, prior to the pandemic, there'd been no overall growth in Italy for 20 years. The Greek economy is down by 25% since the great financial crash just over a decade ago. So actually, if we do get inflation coming into the northern European economies, which it's reasonable to assume that we will, and we don't get the same inflationary pressures in the South, what we see is an even greater divergence between North and South Within the eurozone, um, so you know, you know uh, I guess almost stagflation is the kind of thing that we might see in some of these southern European countries. The inflationary pressure coming from rising commodity prices, uh, but without the growing economy to compensate for those effects. And 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 look, you know, Nick, uh, there are no two people in the world more bearish about the future of the eurozone than you and I. Um, and I think the next phase of this economic cycle that we're going into is going to make that even worse. I must add, though, a political point about Europe. Michel Barnier, the great Michel Barnier, you know, the man who for years, mind you, he was always polite to me, always polite to me. Um, But, you know, Barnier and the gang who, when I attack the concept of free movement of people, when I attack the concept of Mrs. Merkel saying, come on, millions of you please cross the mediterranean yes i know we've no idea who you are but you're all welcome and when i attacked all of this you know i was i mean i I was i was i was told um that i was some sort of you know sort of reborn 1930s you know uniformed fascist leader i was one of the worst human beings ever seen on the planet and now because the french political class are so terrified of their own voters. Barnier now suggests no immigration into France for the next five years. I mean you can't invent these people. They're all careerists, they're all dishonest, they're absolutely ghastly, they really are.
0: I'll leave the politics to you. I can't, I can't, I can't keep the smile <laughs> off my face though but um, I can tell you from reading the German news, as, as a German, that this inflation concern is a massive deal for them because they're importers and exporters, so their commodities, uh, as manufacturing is a key input for them, so they're really worried about it and they're requesting the government does something about it, so I'd love to see what they come up with there. But let's move on to the Queen's speech. Uh, and Jacob Rees-Mogg said something that I thought would really resonate with you, the idea that this was the first real you know, policy period for Britain after the EU. and. British politicians could no longer sit down with their voters and say, well, look, all these policies are stupid, but they're not my fault. They're the EU's fault. That no longer works. It's no longer going to resonate with the voters. So what's going to happen with the Queen's speech? And what do you think about the policies so far?
1: Well, I mean, you know, what Jacob has written in his article in the Daily Telegraph is what I've been saying for 30 years, that actually we've got to take back control. We need to be in charge of the levers over our own economic future. And I've always said that Brexit does not guarantee economic success, but it gives us the opportunity to forge economic success. Uh, as far as the Queen's speech is concerned, um, on the economy, whilst we do have the ability now to do things, there wasn't anything particularly really radical, radical in it. it. Um, but hopefully, you know, post-COVID, post other things, we'll begin to see what the philosophy of this conservative government is. Because I don't know what it is right at the moment. You know, the things that the things that i want to see such as supply side reform help for small business that hasn't yet emerged uh, what did emerge in the queen's speech was something different a sign that the government now has confidence confidence that the brexit fight is over and that brexit now has 70 percent approval confidence because the labor party and socialism is dead in england i mean remarkable how their denial of Brexit, their complete acceptance that anybody can just walk into the country legally or illegally, and of course, they're taking the knee to Marxist organizations like Black Lives Matter, trouncing British history. This has turned working class, blue collar Britain. I mean, the Labour Party based in London are now their enemy, um, and they're not going back to Labour anytime soon. I feel the Labour Party now is rather like the Tory party was in 97. It's gonna be out of power for a very, very long time. So the Tories have a free hand. This Queen's speech doesn't do it on the economics, but on some of the social policies it does. And I think the requirement to have photo ID when you go to vote is a massive step in the right direction. And most interestingly, the proposed legislation, the proposed legislation that says that if a speaker gets canceled by a university, they will have recourse to compensation, is again, a sign of a government that's got a bit more confidence in what it's doing. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, who the real Rishi Sunak is. We don't know at the moment. He's been Father Christmas for the last 18 months, just doling out the billions everywhere. Um, but, but, but we are now free, we are now in charge. And as I repeat, you know, now that Brexit has a 70% approval rating, this conservative government has the opportunity to be as radical as the Thatcher government was back in the 80s. We'll see whether they have the courage.
0: I think it's worth noting that that period with Thatcher was one of the key stock market booms in Britain, especially on an inflation adjusted basis. So uh,
1: there's well, one thing, uh, one thing for that. certain, one thing for certain is I favour UK stocks over European stocks heading into the next two, three, four years.
0: That's great. Thanks, Nigel. We'll leave it there.